0: I'm Alex Del Ciro. I'm Alex Del Ciro. I'm Alex Del Ciro, And we have, we have just <laughs> Eddie. It's Eddie Sauer. Needed to France. Eric Marie. It's Mahe Drysdale. It is Sir Matthew Henson. Thank you for being here. I'm Alex Del Ciro's Choice, and this is another podcast. Now, listen, you see the name on the title. You see who I'm talking to. This is, a, and if you, if you know anything about football or anything about sports, you've seen this guy for years. Now, here's the thing. This is not your typical program with us. Now, this is not someone that's been rowing for 30 or 40 or 50 years. This is not someone that has made coaching their career. So forgive me as we go in, into this that we're not going to be talking about rowing uh, a little bit of it. This guy's got like four years experience. I don't think he's touching oar in over 20 years. So it's like he's not going to help your career out. He's not going to help you uh, get any faster like some of the the greats that we had all season long. Uh, this is Ian Rappaport, and he is the NFL insider for the NFL Network. I mean, that's a big freaking deal. In fact, this bugs me because uh, like 20 years ago, I wanted to be him. Now <laughs> here he is. So I get a chance to talk to this guy a little bit about rowing. We could talk about the NFL. We could talk about how we, as a sport, can learn from what this guy has seen. He has been in one of the biggest marketing engines in the history of sport, top three sports in the world. Before we do that, Ian, thanks for being here. What's going on, man? Thank you for having me. This is cool. So look, dude, like three weeks ago, you're on one of the biggest podcast shows in sports. And they start making fun of you about your little glasses, sitting stroke seat in what I believe is the 2V Lightweight 8 at Columbia. I mean, it, was, it made national news in, in our world. It was, it was incredible. Um, it was actually, uh, it was actually the three V I was not a very
1: good rower. Um, I rode for four years at Columbia. The team was good. We won an Ivy league title. Um, I got a nice ring upstairs, uh, which I never wear, but I do have a ring. Um, and it was a three V. So I was, I would basically bounce between, you know, sitting bow in the two V and, you know, stroking the three V, or if there was a four, um, you know, I'd be in that. Uh, I was, You know, sort of, I I was someone who actually came to Columbia thinking I would play baseball. Ended up getting cut from the baseball team after the fall and was a little bit lost. And, you know, rowing is, as you know, different. Um, There's a lot of walk-ons. There's a lot of people who decide, like, hey, I get to college and this is what I want to do. And most of them, you know, row for a little bit, row for a semester or two, then quit. I was not very good, but I rowed for four years and loved every second of it. Um, I kind of wish I was better, um, but it is, you know, something that I would say has dramatically affected my life and still does. Um,
0: we're going to get into uh, that. So, so yeah, Ian, I mean, I, I, still growing. I
1: still watch it. It's 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 pretty great,
0: man. You still watch. Well, OK, this this changes the structure of our conversation. Well, I
1: mean, I would say, like, I follow. So, you know, I get all the emails from Columbia whenever it's on TV. I, I watch it or if I you know, go online and I see, you know, Columbia is doing something. Um, you know, Columbia is doing something good. I'll, I will kind of take note of it. Um, well, they won the national title. Um,
0: they they won the national title last year in the men's lightweight eight. Like it was, in, it was like an incredible thing for Nick Lee Parker and the team. But look, I asked the same question and it's how old were you? How old were you? And where were you? into we that first stroke, but more importantly, we already got that. So, you know, it was in Columbia. You got cut by the baseball team. So how the hell did you find rowing on campus at Columbia? How did that happen?
1: Um. So you know basically a lot of my identity growing up was as a baseball player i was a catcher i i lived it you know i played basically all year round and i would have played more if i possibly could um you know i devoured every bit of it and so you know i went to columbia as a as a walk on essentially but you know believing being sort of inferred that i would have a place on the team played through the fall i thought it was fine um ended up getting released um and you know, cut basically. Um and was was crushed and started looking for another outlet. And I have never I'm someone who's never been afraid of hard work. Um I basically when I get into something, I get into it a thousand percent, which is, you know, kind of like I do it at work here at NFL Network. Um and, you know, I remember talking to my father and he mentioned rowing. And I'm like, well, I'm sure, you know, I don't want to be a coxswain. And then I learned that Columbia has lightweight rowing. So you know, I went and talked to one of the, co- and then I, I believe if I remember correctly, there was someone on my dorm, this guy named Dave Reyna, uh, who was, you know, also on the crew team. So, um, so I went to to check it out. You know, I, I showed up. Um, I, uh, you know, basically went to, went to the talk to the coaches. um, and was like, I want to, I want to try. And so, you know, it's funny. They put me and I don't think they even use these anymore, but it was, it was like in the basement of the library at Columbia that had basically a huge bathtub.
0: Oh, they use it all the time. Oh, uh, I mean, like it's indoor rowing tanks, but yeah, like they. Like yeah,
1: basically. And so, you know, um, take a few strokes. I'm like, no, maybe I could do this. Put me on the water. And then I kind of just stuck with it. And it was, you know, an absolutely wild and crazy journey um, from there. But it was. Um, yeah, very, very humble beginnings. I would say,
0: let's talk about your, uh, so you said you were in the three V you stroke the three V you're bouncing back and forth. Um, my guess is that you were somewhere around seven minutes on a two K like you guys were doing that pretty often. Like what was your best two K?
1: Um, I was thinking about this last night. I believe six forty eight was my best. Um, so you pretty proud of that. It was, I mean, it was, you know, I'm pretty short. Um, I'm, you know, just a tad under five, eight. So, um, I pulled extremely hard. Um, and you know, I was, I never considered myself a great rower there. I mean, you know, like when we would, we would seat race, I never felt like I really could make as much of an impact as I wanted because there were other just pure great rowers. Um, but I pulled like crazy. Um, and that was kind of what I stuck to. So put me on an erg. Um, I think I
0: I think 648 is right. Um the math checks out. I mean, five, five, eight, 150, one fifty, one, one forty-five, one fifty. That's that's an aggressive good score. Um, and you should, yeah, that's that's probably accurate. Who was the uh I don't remember the coaching staff. So I was in high school going into my junior year when you graduated. Um, so we're not too far off, but I can't remember the coaching staff at Columbia when you were there. Um,
1: so Tom Terhar was my coach.
0: No way. Yes. That's a big, that's a big, you know, do you know the guy's history? Do you know who that guy is?
1: I certainly do. Um, (laughs)
0: yeah, I mean,
1: it's funny and, and, you know, we would, uh, he was great. I mean, he was, um, he was probably the most analytical prepared all encompassing but you know incredibly technical coach I've ever encountered and I've encountered some really good ones. Um Tom was the man. You know he was he was a little uh you know he was sort of dry when you you know before you first get to know him but he was extremely funny. Um and he was, you know, probably I would say the coach that not just planned the best, but considered the most things. Like every single thing had a purpose. You know, I I never really questioned anything he did. But if I even did, you knew that it had like reason beyond reason, right? Yeah. Like he just was, um, he was just someone who, you know, would explain it in a proper way where you're like, wow, I never really thought of it like this, but you know, thank you for, thank you for explaining this to me. And he was, he was big on, I was big on the numbers. He was big on, you know, making sure that you peak at the right time. So, um, you know, it'd be early season, we'd kind of be crashing around, and you'd know that like right around the time of sprints, you'd kind of get to to where you need to be. Um, every once in a while we'd see his wife just you know hanging around around the urge, just absolutely obliterating an erg, and you're like, "Wow, I guess Tom's wife is pretty good." Um, you know, obviously Olympian Jen. Um, so yeah, I mean it was you know it was too good for me. I'm not sure I deserved that kind of coaching, um, but he was really, truly unbelievable.
0: You know, it's rare in rowing and I've been doing this now 23 years that you got a lot of guys that stick it out who are between the 2 and 3v especially in a lightweight program. Lightweight right. programs are super small. Um there, there there are more lightweight programs in the early 2000s than there are today. Um you said that you just you dive into things a 1000% but you were getting your 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 dick kicked in day after day, week after week never making the 1v. What kept you going man cuz I'm sure you could have done something else you could have been somewhere else like what kept you going Um I I like punishment
1: Um I mean and I don't know if that's a joke or, or serious but like it was extremely hard um I like to row I mean and I like to win and in my job now I like to win a lot uh, um and, and you know I hated losing so much And everything was a little bit of a competition for me. And I really liked the being forced to do it day after day and knowing that I was going to outlast whoever I was um, sitting next to on an erg or, you know, next to on a boat. Um, I just, I liked that part of it. And I also liked the fact that, you know, so my experience at Columbia was a little different. Like I lived in the baseball fraternity, ZBT. Um, All my friends were baseball players and I was the guy who rode. Um, And I've always been a little bit of an oddball. Um, and so I didn't mind kind of everyone's going left and I'm going this other way. And, you know, I sort of felt like, you're right, like there's a lot of attrition in the three v, there's a lot of attrition in the two V because, you know, two practices a day is a lot. Um, you go down to Baker, you know, the boathouse, uh, by Baker field in the morning at six, you know, you're on an erg at four. Uh, it's a lot. Um, and I was also writing for the newspaper. I was the assistant editor of the Columbia spectator. I was obviously in school. I did a lot of things and i always felt like there were plenty of people who you know given that i was sort of a jock um were just assuming i would quit mm. um and i took a lot of pride in knowing that i was never going to so you know in my and to me you know you always want to compete at the highest level i was never going to compete at the highest level i was never going to compete so you know tom was obviously my coach but it's not like he was, I mean, he obviously focused on everyone, but it's not like he was focusing on me. Um, it's not like Dan Lewis, our, our who was a freshman coach when I was there and then obviously ascended after that. Um, it's not like he was focused on me, but to me, it's like you always wanted to compete at whatever, and a part of me sort of didn't care that it was the 3 D because you still want to win. You still want to get a shirt. You still want to look over and see the other people just cracking. You know, like these are things I enjoyed um, watching someone lose. Um, so for me, like sticking with it was, I I honestly, like, you know, I wish there was a thing where it was like, well, you know, I thought about quitting and then I talked to this, like, I never thought about quitting.
0: So you did four years. Now, I think in this, in the show that we saw a couple of weeks ago, you didn't touch an oar after that, right? So at that point, at 22 years old, you just hung it up. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm imagining that's like circumstances, right? You moved down to Mississippi or you moved out somewhere pretty far away, And never really had that chance and now i'm imagining you're busy as hell you're traveling all the time um do you miss it do you miss the the that feeling of being on the water
1: yeah i mean i think about it all the time it's funny you know rowers are so weird and you know it's like um you know for me uh, like i was also a high school wrestler same sort of torturous sport right Mm -hmm. and if you ever come across a wrestler if they ever like reach for your arm you are always like ripping their arm off. You know, you're always hand fighting because this is what you do for so many hours in high school, right? And as a rower, there's sort of something similar. where like, there'll be times, this will be uh, visual, right? Not just audio.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. There'll
1: be times when like, you'll sit and you'll be like on the back of your seat and you're like, you know, and just kind of like, like it all just, I mean, I do it all the time, you know, or like, God forbid, I sit down in an erg and like, uh, you know, some sort of gym and you're like, you know like it's just um it's funny but like i do think about it constantly uh i live in rye we actually have a really 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 good youth rowing program oh really a good one you've got one of the best uh, ones dude they're
0: one of the best yeah. junior programs. and so every once
1: in a while i think i'm like well you know i could just kind of go down and i don't know like to me like usually when i like i said like if i do something it's like 100 percent. it'd be weird to just like dip back in for you know a few laps but i don't know i do think about it sometimes
0: I can see you now. Now, every time I see you on camera, you know, covering some kind of event, I'm going to picture you right before the camera starts taking that little stroke, just taking that little half stroke just to get yourself revved up.
1: I mean, I do believe me like it,
0: it. It actually comes up frequently because like, you know,
1: like you spend so many hours doing the same thing over and over that, like, I still feel like like the muscle memory is there and I still feel like I remember it.
0: That's uh, awesome. Now you're around, you're around these pro guys. I mean, your entire life now at this point, um, who do you think would make the best rower or the worst rower in all the athletes that you've met and all the professional athletes that are out there? Like, you know, the stroke, you know, the mo- movement, you know what it takes. In your opinion, who's the best?
1: Who could all right, be the best? So, so let's talk about it, you know, from like an NFL world. I mean, you know, obviously you look at, you know, guys who, I mean, they're all tall, you know, so if it's like, you know, you put Justin Herbert in the engine somewhere, put him at six feet and just let him absolutely crush oars. Like I could see, you know, him just like, you know, just murdering, just bending an oar. Um, you know, I could see Patrick Mahomes as a stroke, you know, is he the strongest? Oh. No, but he's long limbed, probably Rose. Great. You know, I'm sure he'll be the kind of guy whose head is bobbing around the whole time. And you're like, <laughs> come on, man. But <laughs> You know, like I'm sure it would be a great rower, and just like, you know, the kind like, you know, everyone had that guy on their team who, you know, I'm not saying Mahomes is like this, but like, you know, maybe didn't quite train as much as everyone and was like, maybe partied a little bit, but sit in a boat and like, like a natural. Yeah. You know, it's like, and I always, I always pictured him. <laughs>
0: it's funny you bring up Mahomes. I'm like, you know, I think because I don't know him, like, you may know him, but. I would yeah. think that he's a great motivator and you put that son of a gun in bow seat and he'll just chat the whole time. Cause you know, bow pair, they're always talking. Right. And I'm sure when you sat bow seat or two seat in your TV, you we're chatting up a little bit. I bet you were talking to three seats to, to Bobby. Like, let's get, let's get rocking. Um, I love Justin Herbert in six seat. That's, that's actually perfect. Uh, cause he's like tough, right? Just tough and strong. Um, and, yeah, and I'm like, glad you didn't say some linebacker or, or excuse me, like front end or I mean, a, a, um, like a defensive tackle or someone like you need length. You need some flexibility. You need someone that's like aggressive and and fairly light. Anybody else that comes to mind that's like a perfect boat mover?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would say like, when you look at like the big quarterbacks, like Josh Allen, another one, put him right behind, put him right behind Herbert. You know, I mean, that's, you know, five, six, like that's pretty strong. It's pretty strong pick right there um you know it's funny, i mean these are like ridiculous things to think about i mean i would say like you know it, to me like you look at the quarterbacks because they're all big and big yeah. and long um you know i think receivers would probably make sense too um you know i mean justin jefferson is about as as long as it gets so like you <laughs> know, I mean, and, you know and, and you wonder like how good would these guys actually be uh it would be
0: everybody ian would they the would, would be crush they would crush
1: would be, yeah, I mean, it's so technical though. It's not I me, mean, you know, it's not like who's the strongest. Like it's rowing is very hard. Now these guys do take coaching very well.
0: Um Yes, and they're athletes. Like we rowing doesn't athletes, have yeah. a lot of athletes. We don't as a sport, when you see an athlete in a boat or like at a regatta, it's so apparent compared to everybody else that's at that regatta. You know, Cal Cal right now has a six seat that it's a monster. And he's one of the strongest men in the world at this point. And it's noticeable. So if guys like Justin Herbert, and Mahomes were at a regatta. It'd be so apparent. They'd be, I bet, two months they'd figure it out. Yeah. Maybe, maybe two months. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, no, it would. I mean, I'm I I love that kind of stuff. Um, so speaking along that, that that world. So you're around these professionals. You're in one of the largest marketing engines ever created in sport. NFL is everywhere. It owns Sundays. It owns Thursday nights. Rowing, as you've experienced at Eastern Sprints Finals, there's like 80 people watching, right? I'm so glad to hear that you think about it all the time. How does rowing get a sniff of some of that popularity? What are some what's advice do you have for us rowers and coaches? You know, it's it's
1: really difficult because actually watching a race is, you know, from from like the stands or the banks or whatever is like, not that enjoyable, you know, like and my parents would always come to the races and they would kind of see you go by and you're like, all right, well, the real way to do it is you watch it like a horse race. You Either you have a mechanical camera, you have a drone, you have something to follow kind of like they do in the Olympics, something to follow from above. So you can actually see who's winning. And then something where you can see the rowers faces. I mean, if you think of the kind of niche sports that do well, It's the ones that make it a really good TV product. So like, you know, F1 is as having a moment right now, in part because the Netflix series got to know them and introduced them to the people. And then, you know, you go in person to a race, it's okay. You watch on TV, it's amazing because you're like, you know, you're basically sitting next to the driver, Mm -hmm. hearing it, you're listening. It's like what people want. Like if you were going to do rowing on TV, you know, what you would do is you would, you know, wire the coxswain and you would make sure that whatever the coxswain says, we could hear it on TV. You would put cameras atop and alongside. So you could really follow every race and you would make sure that, you know, the people who were powering this thing, you knew who they were. Um, it's, you know, to me, like I love racing, just any racing. I love racing. I love the psychology of racing. You know, we, my freshman year, we finished in the uh, 3V. We finished second to Yale. And like, I still remember looking over when they were walking on us and watching their faces and just having that like crushing feeling of like, we are going as fast as we can and we are not going to be able to keep up. Like, I could feel it. And like, that sort of like emotion. Is really palpable and like you see it every race, right? And if you could bring the viewer into that, I think people would watch. I would certainly watch. Um, it's just you know it's it it would you'd have to reshape everything you do about how it's actually covered and viewed.
0: And the commentary is a, is, a, is has to be a major part of it too, right? Having someone that can communicate what's happening to a general audience is that another component that you think that's really important.
1: Yeah, um, I think so, but maybe not as important as you think. Like, if you watch, like, I'm a big horse racing guy. I was at Preakness last week. It was the Derby before we were on the Belmont. And, you know, the live announcer at the track is not, you know, telling you everything you need to know about the horses. It's not. It's just telling you who's winning, who's coming, and how exciting it is. And when you listen to a race announcer, you know, you feel like you are you know, at the track and part of the action. And he brings you into the excitement of what you're watching. And I think that's what it would have. It wouldn't have to be like, you know, like, uh, you know, here's why technically, you know, they carry their hands here or they catch here, whatever it is. It would be like, you know, they're taking a 10. Here's why, watch the move. Like, it would have to be like that. I I think it's possible. I do. Um, But you'd have to reshape the way you put the sport on TV.
0: You know, there's no money in rowing. You know that, right? There's unbelievable funding behind it. Um, is it, you, you sort of got to take a risk, right? So whoever wants to have that happen, you got to spend the money to make that happen. Uh, and do you think that I mean, having been in a boat, do you think there's enough excitement to get there?
1: I mean, I love racing. So I, to me, like, I would definitely watch it. Um, but you know, it'd have to be something where it would almost have to go viral first. There's no money in racing and there's no money in crew but there could be because like, Oh, it would take is visibility. You know, it's like, is eight people or nine people in a boat less exciting than some dude in a car or some dude on a horse? Like it's all kind of, or somebody just running on the track. Like it's all kind of the same. It would just have to go viral first where you'd have to get enough eyeballs on whatever you're advertising to make it worth it for the advertisers. So like, you know, if, Netflix or whatever had said, you know what, we're going to do rowing instead of F1. Maybe that would be compelling enough for people to say, like, I want to know more about this sport. But it would have to be someone diving in and sort of unveiling it for everyone first, I think.
0: Yeah, Toby. Yeah, right. Uh, my producer, air quote, says that you uh, own a horse. Is that is that right?
1: Uh, we own pieces of a couple horses. Yeah, we had a horse in the Kentucky Derby.
0: How, how did you, How did you do? Uh,
1: well, he did not do great. Jace's road was the horse, is the horse. Um, He had some knee bruising, which we found out after. So basically like jumped out to a lead, fired nicely. The jockey didn't feel like he was running well, felt something was wrong and pulled way back and then took him to the doctor and examined him and he had some knee bruising. So he's on the shelf for about 60 days. He's going to come back. He's going to race, but you know, it's, it's upsetting but you know we walked on the track before the derby and the walkover like it was a whole experience was wild um we have two more we have a filly named Parnak and a colt named Cagliostro who are going to be running um in a couple of weeks on sort of the summer circuit so it's uh it's fun man it really is you get all dressed up you kind of yeah. do it up it's it's really fun
0: you know I was at the Preakness in 2009 and uh, they stopped doing this and it was just a drunken mess in the pit, you know, right dead center. And the things that I saw for those five hours of the preakness, I've never seen anywhere in my life. And I don't even want to say it on camera. It is unbelievable. And yeah, I'm glad to lot. hear that you were lot. you were in Baltimore. It's awesome. It's a hell of a race. Um I you know, I just I, I love it. I love hearing that that you you got that. And you you said something earlier in the interview that you said you hate you you, you hate losing, you love winning. And you loved looking at the guy next to you losing, right? You loved watching that happen. You said in your career, it's about winning, right? You want to win all the time. Just spend more time talking to me about how rowing shaped that for you, right? Because you said it, you said that rowing helped shape that. It made you mentally tough. And the most successful people in my life that I've ever met were rowers. And even if they just did it for a couple of years. So talk to me about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, and there's there's so much like, you know, my, my job is hard. Um, it's a lot. And it is. I think the reason it's so hard is not because it's difficult to find sources. I mean, it is difficult to find sources, but, you know, to it takes probably five or six or maybe seven years to have a base of sources where if something happens, you have people to call and where you have an understanding for the news, what's going to happen right before it happens. So you can get on it and you can report it. And there's a lot that goes into it. Right. But the you know, the meeting of sources and the making of relationships, like all these things are good, but it's not like it's that, that difficult. Be a good guy, be a good person, strike up a relationship, get someone's number, stay in touch. Like these are all regular human things. I think the toughest thing about my job is doing it day after day. Every day you're on the phone, you're chasing the same news, you're grinding, you're calling your sources, you're fishing for information, you're examining what's going to happen. I mean, it is Sort of a battle of attrition, and mm. I have, you know, I'm most certainly not perfect, but one of the things I've been able to do is you know, have enough sort of mental toughness to do the same thing over and over, no matter how annoying it is or no matter how hard it is. And I think some of that is because nothing will be harder than rowing ever in my life. Nothing will be harder. And you know there's always a something, a feeling I will remember. You get in a boat or you sit on an erg and, you know, you row for a little bit, take some strokes. And I would say for me, it was always like around six or seven minutes, you know, not racing six or seven minutes, but let's say like 5K, 10K, three by 20, something like that. And there's a, a minute in there, a little portion where you start to sweat. Mm-hmm. And when you start to sweat, you feel terrible. And at least this is the way I feel. Mm-hmm. And there's an impending doom of like, oh, God. I'm starting to sweat. I feel awful. Like I'll get through this and it'll be okay. But what's coming is going to be difficult. And I'm a big Peloton guy. Now I basically am on the Peloton six days a week. Wow. Um, And it's the same thing that happens there. And it's the impending doom of like, Oh, this is going to suck. Um, And that was every day. Um, And, you know, it's like, I remember talking to Dan Lewis, my, my freshman coach about, actual racing and crew. And I'll be like, you know, and this is when I'm just learning and just starting. And I said, is racing awesome? Like, how fun is it? He goes, oh, it's miserable. It's really miserable. You know, even when you win, it's like, oh, thank God it's over. Thank God it's over. Oh, hey, we won. Oh, thank God it's over. And like, that was a really accurate description that I'd never forgotten. And I loved that so much. Um, And I loved the feeling of Knowing that you had absolutely nothing left, and looking over, and they had nothing left too, but you won and they didn't, Um, and then all the inner racing things that you enjoyed, of like, um, you know, just watching how a race unfolds, or you know, you're even with someone, but you're about to really step on it, and you you know it's going to happen, and they're just going to be left behind. Like all these little things, really drove me, uh, and I haven't sort of forgotten these feelings, and so in you know my world when you break a big story like that's what it's like because you know the other people are like oh i gotta follow up on this or i missed this and it's the same thing for me like if i get scooped on something it's really a terrible miserable feeling um that i never want to have happen again but they are part of the reality and this is sort of what what keeps you coming back you know
0: you know i love that man and racing is miserable um (laughs) but it opens up something that you've never felt before so so few people and I so appreciate you said that nothing's harder than rowing. Do you openly talk about it? Like, do you openly talk about your experience in rowing to other people in 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 your world? Like, you know, on that again, going back to to the Pat McAfee show, you had a a, a Columbia one fifty shirt on the wall, mm-hmm. and that one fifty, you know, that that Eastern Sprint's uh, what would probably be your final or your or your semifinal photo. Does it does it at all ever come up uh, in your world?
1: Um it comes up sometimes, you know, not often um, because, you know, most people don't really know. Um, and it's, you know, it was a massive part of my life in college and I still i am I'm incredibly proud of it. Uh, but it's also weird because like the team was so good, but I was not. And so they be like, Oh, like, you know, you won an Ivy league championship. And it's like, well, yes, I wasn't in the boat, uh, but we did win. So, you know, there's always like a little bit of explaining, um, but I'll, I'm will i happily talk about it. It just doesn't really come up because, you know, like there's not, you know, it's like people don't always want to hear your like great, you know, details of great uh, wars fought in the past, you know. So like if people come down to the basement, which people do because we're entertained on there, they'll always ask about it. Um, and people who know me well know, but um, it doesn't come up that often. So that's why like on the Pat McAfee show when it kind of came up, I was like, wow, like I wonder if people know this. I, I sort of like, who knows? You know, i had I didn't really know if people knew this. It's not like I hide it or anything. I just don't talk about it that much. Um, So it was kind of fun when it became this like huge topic of conversation.
0: Now you got some, you got some, you got kids, right? You got two. I think you got two boys. Um, Yeah. You live in Rye, so you're Mm -hmm. you are probably a five or ten minute drive from one of the biggest, most successful rowing clubs in the country right now on the junior level. Is it something that your boys have? shown interest in they see this photo they see uh this columbia lightweights thing on your on your wall is has it come up at all in conversation
1: you know they've never asked um and i i try very hard not to push my kids into basically anything not because that's like the philosophical parenting thing but they resist everything i say you know they're kids <laughs> so like you know they'll tell me like oh i don't like football and I'm like, okay, like we we're watching football for like two hours yesterday and you were sitting next to me asking questions, but they like to say they don't like football because they're contrarians. <laughs> so I've never pushed, um, if they wanted to row, I would more than support it mostly because of like, you know, it's great time spent working incredibly hard, doing something that's probably better use of time than whatever else you'd be doing. And it's great, you know, for the lessons of life. And I think they would like it. Um, I've never pushed them, but I think if they wanted to, I would happily nudge them in that direction, especially because you know that the teaching they get would be so high level.
0: I yeah. I mean, I I I have three myself. And, you know, obviously rowing is my career, right? So I have an erg in the basement. We I my send my kids to the head of the charles every single year. They go to most of the regattas that I attend, either professionally or racing. Uh, uh and I so badly want them to row because of what I've learned in my life. But you said it yourself. Like, I can't push them to do anything. Christ, my daughter has tried, like, I don't know, seven different sports and hasn't stuck a goddamn one. She hasn't, she's like, she hasn't committed to a single one. Drives me nuts. How old is she? She's nine. Oh, yeah. We, uh, just How, how old just are your kids?
1: Eight, eight and almost ten. My only philosophy is just have them do as many things as possible, and they'll figure out what they like eventually. Everyone, in, especially in my town, is – seemingly dying to have their kids commit to something and i don't Mm -hmm. really understand that i mean you know i was a college athlete for four years uh and something i picked up when i was 18 like there's no rush for anything
0: yeah uh, that's good
1: advice philosophically for me like everyone wants to know like oh does my kid like it is this going to be a sport like who knows have them play as much as possible They'll figure it out. Life always has a way of working out, anyway. You know.
0: Oh yeah. No. What? So what are they? What are your two boys into right now? Please tell me horse racing, because that'd be hilarious. <laughs>
1: I mean, they are going to come to Belmont with me. Oh, yeah. um, hold on one second. Yeah, Let me of course. Just check because you
0: never know. A lot of movement in the NFL right now, dude. A lot of things happening. I got a. I got a question for you. Once <laughs> you're done that.
1: Um. So right now my kids do, um, they both play soccer, both play baseball. My younger one plays lacrosse. my oldest wrestles, they both play golf. They both play tennis. They both play fight football. They both play basketball. They do a lot of things and they commit to none of them and they play all of them. And at some point they'll figure out what they're good at and what they like. And I'm not going to rush any of it.
0: So as a, this is a dad to a dad asking this question. So I travel a lot. I go to regattas pretty much every weekend. I try to spend as much time as I can with my kids you've got a very busy schedule. Like how do you balance um, family life and this incredibly busy job that you have? So,
1: you know, the way I do it, I would say during the season, I'm always here. I'm working a lot, but I'm always here. So like I'm on good morning football, usually from seven to 10, three days a week. And then also on Sundays, I'm on game day morning, but you know, the way my job is I'm on basically 10 minutes at a time. Mm -hmm. So I give the news then they talk about it, they do some other stuff. Then I come back at the top of the hour. I talk about the same news or different news, whatever it is. So usually like in the mornings, I'll be on seven to seven ten. I go upstairs, I make them breakfast, I go on at eight to eight ten. Then I take them to school, then I come back to nine to nine ten. And then I begin my day. And that's three days a week. And then, you know, our our daily news show usually ends at 3 p.m. So either you know, I'll hang with them when they come back from school or I'll go to their games. And then if I have a show at, you know, I always have a show at seven, but sometimes I have a show in five or six. I just go back in, do some TV, go back to their sports. Like I go to almost everything. Wow. Uh, so in the spring, it's a little more challenging because I travel more like there's free agency, which is crazy. There's owners meetings. There's a draft, the combine. There's another owners meeting. Um, so there's, you know, a lot um but i'm when i'm home you know because i work out of my basement and have for the last 8 years like i'm at least always around and then the other thing is you know one thing i try hard to do is when news is happening or i'm on phone calls or when like clearly something is going on i will remove myself i will go sit in the basement mm-hmm. sit in my office because you know being around but like on my phone like this is not helpful to anyone mm-hmm. so when i am busy I'll remove myself and go somewhere else. So it's not like someone's talking to me and I'm like, hold on, hold on. Wait, what'd you say? Like, that doesn't help anyone.
0: That's great. I love that. And a lot of it does, just because this is a rowing podcast, I'm just going to say a lot of what you just said relates to the training that you went through at Columbia, right? It's you're constantly training. Um, yeah. You said something, you said something about winning. And I want to get back to this really quick. Is that you want to win in your career, but you said winning also means breaking a story. How else would you describe winning in what you do as a profession?
1: I mean, that's basically to me, you know, that's the guts of As is I'm our newsbreaker. I'm our insider. Um, so getting a story first, being able to go on TV with it, you know, having everyone know that it's your story that you broke. It, I mean, that's, you know, this is a big deal. I mean, this is basically what um, this is what I do. Um, so, yeah, I would say that that to me is sorry, I have to send a text. That to me is, uh, um, you know, that to
0: me is the win.
1: Is you get a story first and everyone knows it's your story. And then you get to go on TV and talk about
0: it. Who do you who do you think or who do you see as your competition? You know, at, when you're rowing in Columbia, it's like Yale, it's Harvard, it's Princeton, it's, you know, it's Navy Lights, it's, you know, Rutgers Lights. Like, who's your competition in your space?
1: Uh, for me, it's, you know, ESPN, Adam Schefter, it's, you know, I guess Jay Glazer. Uh, there's, there's other insiders that, you know. Um, there's insiders on my network who I work with. um but you know basically, when you're doing my job, um you're competing with everyone because you want to get the news first. so it's literally everyone in the world who could possibly have this news. That's who you want to beat.
0: Um, I mean everyone knows Adam, right? I mean crime mean, he's he's on all the time. Um, is there is there a a point where you say like, I've made it, you know, like i've I've reached the pinnacle? Is there, how would you define that? Is that even part of it? Because in rowing, it's it seems like there's never a pinnacle, right? That there's always the next thing.
1: Yeah. I mean, so I, one one of the things with me is you know, I, I've covered um, covered some really great coaches. I've covered Nick Saban. I've covered Bill Belichick. And you sort of take, and I've covered a lot of just a lot of other people, a lot of other great coaches. And you sort of take something from each of the coaches that you've covered, right? And one of the things Nick Saban always says is you've never arrived. Um, and that's something I always think about because like, God forbid you break a bunch of stories, you have a moment, you do something viral, you know, you, you crush everyone in this massive news Well, you know, something else is coming. You know, the other, the other people are going to be, want to work that much harder. They're going to kind of step on the gas. You know, they're taking their own power 10, one might say, um, and they're going to come after you and they're going to try to break some news and, and shove it down your throat. And so, you know, you never in this business can ever be like, all right, we are done guys. Like it's, there's always news, you know, there's always news. And, um, you know, it's so, so, you know, you can have a moment of like, you know, I will give like a fist bump. Um, and then that's really it because it's always on to the next, even if it's not as big, if they beat you on it, it's going to feel like it's big.
0: So those two guys, um, you know in my opinion the greatest coaches right and you said that you picked up this never arrived is there anything else that we could we could give to the coaches that listen to this podcast like any advice they have from being around these these giants in in the sport
1: yeah I mean you know I think there's a couple things there's something I always think about too and this is from Nick Saban also where it's like you know you don't know what anyone is you don't know what kind of player anyone is until the lights come on you know, that's something I always stuck with stuck with me, too, because you go to training camp and you see someone flashing you're like, wow, like this undrafted rookie is going to be really good. I never saw that coming. And then the lights go on or the pads come on. Um, and then it's completely different. In my world, like you could talk to someone, a personable, they're great. And then the TV lights come on or the red light comes on and everything changes and they're all of a sudden they're live. And it's like, wow, like this is big. Now you're really talking to everyone and there's no net and things can change. Um, And that's something, I don't know if that's advice for coaches, but that is something I always think about because, you know, until it gets real, you really don't know anything about anyone. And there are people who are just okay. And then the lights come on and they are rock stars. And that is really fascinating to see. Um, Let's say those are some things, you know, the other thing is when, one thing I get a lot, especially with young coaches, is they are focused on acting like a coach. Like I've seen coaches, you know, I've seen Bill Belichick. I've seen, you know, the great coaches at a podium and they're, you know, kind of dry or they're mean or they don't give information and they treat their players this way and they're rough and they're yelling, you know, or they're not, you know, don't treat their players great. And it's sort of like there's certainly people who think that that is the way a coach should act. And therefore, act that way. If that's not you, though, players see through it immediately. The only thing that really matters is being whoever you are. Whatever way you communicate, do that. Whatever way you treat players, do that times 100. Like, Don't focus on trying to act like how you think a coach should be. That's how the message gets jumbled. Be yourself. Talk how you talk. Teach how you teach. And if you're authentic and you have good information and can help players get better, which is really all they care about anyway... Like, they will respect you and play for you.
0: What a way to end the podcast. That was – I love it. Ian, thank you. That was perfect. Uh, I do have a question about NFL, though. Uh, I don't know if you can say this or not, but um, what's your opinion? Who's going to win the Super Bowl this year? Where's your money at?
1: Um, No money. I am not allowed to bet on football normally. Got it, right. (laughs) Um, You know, I think – I'll say this. The focus is going to be on the Jets. They traded for Aaron Rodgers. Big trade highest expectations they've ever had they have a great young team um I would say to me that's that's where my focus will be that's probably the biggest story of this season
0: there it is uh Ian rappaport uh I had a great time here on the on the podcast uh and everyone I hope that there was something that you learned from this that you tuned in um and you made it to the end that last thing about Stop focusing on acting like a coach. Be yourself. That is hugely valuable for all those up-and-coming coaches entering and rowing. Uh, Again, Ian, thanks for being here, man. Appreciate it.
1: Awesome, man. Really, thank you for having me. Fun to talk
0: about rowing. There it is. See you guys.